I hate this. What do you hate? You know. This is episode 10 of the Ekans Lab Version cast. 4, because you keep changing your mind about how you want to start this thing. Okay, we've started it. And, we've um, started this it's thing. It's episode 10, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. to get to episode 10. It is. I never thought we'd get past two. Oh, listen to you. No, it's not. Look, <laughs> actually, I'm thinking it's 100. It feels like 100. I've had so much fun. Oh, my this. God. Okay, so we interviewed... Steph Fuller. Steph Fuller, who is kind of the person I wish I was. Oh, cool. I wish I was Steph Fuller because her art, if I chose an art, if I had the ability to be an artist and I'm entirely too self-conscious to do it, I would do what she does. I love, love her work. I love it. I love it. I want to do it. I want to be her. I want to, like all of her, she goes, oh, I had this. I'm like, yes, that is what I want to have had that idea. Yeah. What I love is... Her ability to go, oh yeah, I've been working on this for five years, and right. uh, that's her. Pro- that's and she hasn't. Yeah. There's nothing's happened with it, but she's been working on the project. Yeah. Like, how does anyone? How do you do that? I mean, I'm probably a bad person to ask. You well, know. you've been working on this business. This has been your project for the last thirty five years. And how long for the boat? Oh, don't let's not talk about the boat. That's the third boat, though. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, no, she's extraordinary and um yeah. and young and beautiful and. Stupidly talented and, <laughs> you know, it's kind of depressing. Um, yeah, she's amazing. And I think she's very undervalued at this juncture in Little Old Adelaide. I don't know what's going to kick her out and make her go uh, no, I think like there's a the queen of the world. She's just, there's a real path happening and it just takes a long time on that path. Yeah. There's no overnight success, I think, in, in visual art. I think there's, if, if it has happened, it's pretty rare in art in general. Mm. It's incredibly rare. I think she's just on a great path and... Because she's on this steady path and her shows um, professional and she's getting there, that she will keep going mm. and she will still she'll keep going and become more and more important to the, the world's art scene. Yeah, she does beautiful stuff. And it's interesting because I think there's, you know, I know that the podcast is about speaking to a range of different people, but I think there's something for everybody to learn out of each one and I think that all the people who are right now going, well, I'm a baby photographer or I'm a wedding photographer, what am I going to get? Just listen to it. Like you will get so much out of it. It has nothing to do with what you do and everything to do with what you do because it's photography and it's how she sees and it's how she thinks about what she does and how she – you know, it has to deal with that balance between what she, what's achievable technically and what she's trying to achieve emotionally and in her head as to what it is. And also, like, you know, the, the hours and hours and hours and hours she spends just doing the same thing over <laughs> and over <laughs> to try and get what she wants out exactly, of Exactly, exactly. Which is some form of insanity, right? No, it's cool. And she is, I reckon she's the guest with the best background yet. Yeah, and all the, pretty cool. All the stuff, so... Yeah, you, so you got to have a look at the... Uh, and I'm going to overlay some of her work yeah. as you talk. So Vimeo and YouTube version is worth having a glance at. We will have the images in the yeah. show notes in yeah, a gallery we'll as well. Is yep. that the way we're going to do it? Yep. Uh, not that we speak specifically about images like we did with Ragni. We we will, you know, hint to the work. So if you do want to uh, check it out on YouTube or Vimeo, that's a nice thing to do. Yep. So, anything else we want to say to our lovely listeners? I don't know. You know, take some photos. Uh, <laughs> take some photos. Get, you know, place an order. 
place an order. Place an order. That's good advertising. Everybody, if everybody listening to this show <laughs> placed one <laughs> eight by ten, we would have three more eight by ten orders. <laughs> <laughs> and if there were people watching the video, place we an would order, have, have one, one more. <laughs> No, the this? podcast had over. I can now edit this bitch for like two hours. In a we've minute. had over th- a thousand downloads of the audio stream. So a week. Yeah, 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 yeah a week. So, so yeah, uh, like just a thousand ten eights. We could do that. A thousand ten eights. Are you yawning How again? I'm yawning again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, a thousand ten eights would be nice. Haven't had that in a little while. No, that's the school stuff because the schools are not the schooling. Schools are Although they started up again, and yeah. we've um. We're starting to see the first schools were shot this week here in South Australia. Yep. So we're going to start to see that work and, um, yeah, it's very cool. And, and we've got some um, replacement. We, we had a couple of frames go out of stock and we've got some replacements for that. Oh, you've been having a look at that, have you? Yeah, the it's this amazing mob in New South Wales and they go out like you go, I want this, this wood in a frame moulding and they go, okay, well, we've got one of those trees out the back and they walk out there, no doubt, with a beard and they – Hack the, the tree down. <laughs> What's a beard for? I don't know. I feel like there's a beard somewhere in there. And they hack the tree down and then they grind it up into like frame shaped. They don't shape. grind it. They whatever. form it. They yeah, plane it. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then they send it to us. It's kind of glorious. It's cool. No, I, I did have a look at the mouldings and I did look at the pricing, which is a little on the scary side. Yeah, so. we will have to put a surcharge on, I think. Yeah, well, we'll have a look at it and see how it fits in with everything that's going on. Yeah, there you go. God, so. how lame are we today? Why is that? Is that because it's Saturday? No, because the weather is really scary. Yeah, because what you can't see behind this window curtain Thing crap on. we've got up on there is the world is coming to an end. No, no, <laughs> it just it looks like it's wicked weather. It feels awful, it and I don't know awful. what the story is. I don't know. I have to go and get pick the dogs up in a minute with their hairdos. Shut up! Are they going to? I saw that face. <laughs> Listen, can't you cut it yourself? And do no, a nice I cannot. It's too, entirely too hard. Yeah, but then they get this helmet head look. It's <laughs> awful. Listen, it's ridiculous. as a man who has not had a haircut, had a haircut in how long? Three months? I don't think you can be complaining. I know. Yeah, good. So, and then the, Joe wants to go to Savers and get some crap that she can then put through my sewing machine and make <laughs> vaguely less crap. <laughs> Well, look, know. lovely people. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's, there's one other thing I wanted to say, which oh, we want to. I want to put out to the audience this week. Buy another eight by ten. This week, no. yeah. Besides that, I did a virtual lab tour with a group of people, right? Yes. And, so and it went it went really really do you think people well. People want that. I don't know. But do you think people want that? I would love do to. Do you want yeah. a like? Yeah, but it's, it was an interactive one. Where we yeah, talk, yeah. So we could do like ha- an invite only one. Yeah, I know. My question is, like, if everyone wants one. No, 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 uh, like we would do an invite, like we do it on the book of faces or something. Yeah. Like and, it, okay. and everybody can ask questions. And, and if I'll there's about 10 people, then the questions can be asked and answered nicely. Yeah. Any more than that, I think it would be well, a bit of a silly broadcast type of thing. It depends on how many questions there are. But they it was good be because... But I could be the chooser of the question. You just do the... You could. And I could film it. You could. And the feedback from the audience who saw it, which was a... A school, uh, a group of students in uh, secondary, uh, not secondary, but uh, tertiary students doing. Uh, you got them to talk? Yeah, yeah, they were asking a lot of questions in the feedback. So I, I called the teacher up and said, hey, how did it go? Or the lecturer. And she said it was excellent. They liked the um, the back and forward. They liked the uh, interest we had in what we do and how much we love what we're doing. And the machinery, they were amazed at some of the stuff that we have running. So, yeah, uh, it, was, it was a good little you know, introduction to how we work here, which means, like, the problem is, is anyone in Adelaide can walk in, we show them around, have a lovely 
look and a chat and a cuppa. Yeah, but no one can do um, that. You can't do that remotely. No. And we've got so many clients now, interstate and internationally, that I really want to be able to do this yeah. for. So I think we have a format that's going to work. And even just regional people, like people in the middle of. Yes. In a whoop whoop. Yep, by parks, by the telescope. Or people in America. We've got we so many Americans. American clients at the moment. Yeah. Which is, you know, amazing and terrifying. Yeah, for, for, for them. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with us in Australia. I know. Because everything gets delivered well, by kang- kangaroo and because over here. Amer- I, think, I feel like... And kangaroos get things dirty because yeah. their pouches aren't the cleanest. And we're probably a bit more casual in our service standards here than, than the Americans are used to. Think so? so? I think so. I think Americans want a higher level of service. They want more formal... Yeah. Conversations and and that brings me to Akimbo. Oh yes, that's Seth. Seth Golden, which I don't know. I feel like he's probably a pretty big douchebag, but <laughs> <laughs> that was a very interesting episode. You got your show notes ready? Oh right, yeah. yeah um, make a note about how you don't have to have like this mega Uber startup getting heaps of, you know, like. That podcast episode was really interesting about how you can you can really just do something that you have a market for that people are interested in and it can work and it doesn't have to be the second coming of Christ every time. No, no. It just has to be a mini- minimum viable audience. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. You know, like it, you, you, don't, do a you thing don't need everybody. You have to do a thing in a way that people want that thing over other people's thing. It's not that fucking complicated. It's got to be about you. It's not about yeah. not so much about what you're doing, but it's about how you do it and how you do it differently. Because there's definitely, and I think, I don't know how other people feel, but I feel as an old person. Old? Which means no one's, everyone, the three people that are listening are all under 25. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like. snappers. Yeah. As, let me tell you, you under 25s. As an old person, I feel a bit like, well, I didn't reinvent the wheel and I'm not like a founder. Like all the cool people are founders. Um, they a, found. You know, like they founded a fucking business oh, yeah. that made them shit tons of money and we don't have that. <laughs> and so there's an element of – I probably anything. listen to too much startup cultural my socks. stuff. Oh, God. But, you know, it's just that thing where I'm just like, oh, my God, have I got enough money to retire on? No, I do not. What am I going to do? Yeah. I have to do something for the next 50 years because I'm never going to be able to retire. And so what's that going to be? Well, it can't just be something I hate. Yeah. No, you got to do something you love, and and the, I think the message that Seth is always putting forward is, is you know, don't get hung up on what you've done and what you, you know, w- what the past was. He said you've just got to keep seeking for opportunities. Yeah, and that that it just it was just slightly more relaxed view on that stuff instead of this kind. Oh yeah, totally. Of, we all have to be influencers, and we all have to be the best of the best, and we are blah 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 blah. Which I think photographers fall into that a lot, where they're like, oh, I want to be an influencer. I want to be like, you know, barefoot or. Kristen Cook, Ollie, who, all these big swinging dick guys, except obviously Kristen Cook, no dick swinging. But you know, you get you get the picture, right? Yes. That whole thing is, you know, it's nice for them, but that that's not the vast majority of people and what we yes. do. Yeah, and yeah. you know, we don't have investors, we don't have like money <laughs> from that perspective, you know. Yeah. And so we're not doing it for that reason. We don't have like a. A second income stream from this sneak secret squirrel business over here that we do. Do you know what I mean? So, like, there's this aspect of this, like, are we actually missing out on something? And is there some tricky dicky thing that we should be yeah, doing? So what that Seth other does is he brings doing? it down to that understanding that, you know, that's 
that's not reality. No. And 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 he actually is a, disses influences a bit. Not, yeah. not specifically the ones we just mentioned. No, but no, no, no. He's no. he's dissing the idea that you pile up on Instagram followers and off you go. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting chat. Anyway. That yeah. Was so good. so that's good. Um. So we'll give a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. But what you really need to do now is sit down, buckle up, and. Look forward to listening to and what, look at the videos. The videos she yeah. does so cool. Oh yeah, Steph will go to her website at least. She's got some little what do they? What she call them a little class? A little yeah, art I think class? it's under classes. Last art classes. Please, really, really please sweet. have a quick look. It's so beautiful. And even though you know how it's being done, like a, like a magic it's trick, made me want to get another camera, which I still don't have a <laughs> camera other than my fucking iPhone. But whatever, it's fine. I'm married to a photographer. It means I don't get a camera ever. Has the guilt. Is what, it working yet? Whatever. Yeah, and I'd like to say to the viewing public, all three of you, plus the one on the video, none of you fuckers have helped me at all. I put a call out on the Instagram and said, come and help me get a camera. And nobody said, Jack. Yes, well, that's bad luck, isn't it? Probably because they're not listening to what I say at all <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram or anything else. Well, let's let these people right. go to step. Shut up. Yes. So, oh, hey, let's, let's get on with this, huh? Yeah, let's. So I'm on the call here on the Super Skype call with someone who's clearly in outer space. I am so impressed. Are you hanging off the space station there, Steph? Uh, can you tell? <laughs> You're off the International Space Station. This is so awesome. Um, this is Steph Fuller Weld. Um, Weld, I'd like you to meet Steph Fuller. She's an Adelaide-based visual artist who photography is, is your thing, isn't it? That's your medium? Yeah, yeah. Never forayed into anything else. No? Never? <laughs> no, can't draw, can't paint. And, you know, once I discovered photography, I wasn't going to waste my time, you know, further learning how bad I was at stick figures. So, yeah, I've been sticking <laughs> at it for a while. <laughs> so so you uh, you did a, a, was it a Bachelor of Visual Art or Masters, have you done? Yeah, both of those. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a good couple of years ago now. Um, long in the past, but, um, yeah, that was a real, um, turning point in, like, I always was interested in photography, but took me a while to click between pursuing it as a visual artist and pursuing it sort of more commercially. And I'm really glad that I enrolled in the arts, um, you know, the bachelor of visual arts to sort of clock that and have, yeah, never looked back and really enjoying that, um, freedom to make the pictures I want to make and, all yeah, that yeah. jazz and travel through space. <laughs> so, so you were, see, with a, having a bachelor and a master's, that's what gets you on the space station. I just, I make, I better make a note of that because I've always wanted a, to be an astronaut. And yeah, you don't need to do astrophysics or any of that jazz. You no, are, just need no. an arts degree. <laughs> yeah, an arts degree, and it was that at University of South Australia. That's the one. Yeah, and I went oh, straight awesome. from high school. I didn't have a gap year, and just. Um, went straight through it and then then had a bit of a, you know, deep breath and take some time. But, yeah, just sort of marched on through. So you you, you knew your stuff. You knew, you knew you wanted to do this. Why? How how were you so sure and, and where did photography fit into that surety? I think um, – so I discovered photography in sort of mid-high school. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> you can relate to this. My dad bought a um, – new camera, a Lumix, which was only like less than 10 megapixels, but at the time it was amazing. Um, and I just kind of adopted it and he never really got to use it at all. And yeah, realized how much I loved uh, making images. 
and I think because I enjoyed it so much I didn't really question anything from that point on and yeah enrolling in a visual arts degree specializing in photography just made a whole lot of sense so I just kind of was propelled forward through that and yeah I mean <laughs> trying to make it as an artist is pretty hard but I've just oh, well run with yeah it. I mean we'll, we'll get to that side of it but did you have a B, did you have a B plan at all uh we was there another path I mean other than you, you talked about commercial photography yeah um I mean I think in the beginning I thought I'd be doing more uh you know work my way up to weddings and um you know shooting more more photographs of people I thought I'd be doing right. 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 um rather than my you know sometimes dead subject matter and insects and all of that um but yeah I think not really I didn't really think about you know, having the practicality of having a plan B. Um, I was interested in, I've been using Photoshop for a while, so I think there was a bit of a, oh, maybe I could do graphic design, but very flippant. So, um, <laughs> yeah, not really. Yeah, and I I mean, you said that, you know, making a living as a visual artist is, is, is you know, it's probably the biggest challenge of all, which means you've got to have some sort of a plan B for your income. You've got to, you've got to get work elsewhere and, and you know, a lot of people have said to me that that's quite a freeing thing to to take the pressure off of your photography. Uh, so, wh how do you where do you find yourself supplementing the the photography with an income? What are you, what are you doing now? Yeah, I did a lot of there was a lot of retail for a long time, right. um, and now I'm working for Sala Festival. And oh. as a well, my role keeps changing, uh, projects coordinator at the moment. Um, so that means that. I can still shoot what I want because it's not the sole thing feeding me. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Oh, that's cool. And Sala Festival is a South Australian Living Artist Festival. It's our, you know, it's a wonderful uh, thing that runs over, what, a, a month, is it? Yeah, that's it? right. Yep, celebrating the living artists in South Australia for a whole month. So it's a great, um, relevant place to be working. So it's Yeah, not like that is parallel isn't it really yeah <laughs> I really lucked out so it's great yeah and I suppose the le the retail side of what you did and have done has probably set you in good stead for the side of being an artist that that not every artist is comfortable with and that's dealing with people and pushing yourself out there and because you know you have to fight to get yourself known don't you yeah, it um it doesn't remedy imposter syndrome, but it is really good for oh, really? You know, yeah, having <laughs> yeah, um but having that confidence to yeah talk to people and um talk about my work, I think it's definitely helped. So, yeah, yeah, Imp imposter syndrome, huh? Um, that's 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 a tough one, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you've it's... just got to befriend it early. I think because it doesn't go away. Yeah, one of those so, things. So your work, you know, like I'm just looking at the the earth behind you and the sentiment of the, of black and and space and otherworldliness you know that's proximal orbit which i i mentioned is one of my all-time favorite shows that i've seen uh you you are you've got the sense of um you know of play uh but you're also looking at things you know it's an imposter you know you're photographing things you're it's an imposter what you've done of uh, and and you've obviously got a fascination with astronauts and space and, and that, but you've created your own side of that. Uh, where, you know, where did that come from? Yeah, I um have thought about this a lot, and I think there's multiple things at play. I um used to shoot 
natural light and, you know, swore I'd never, never shoot with artificial light. I'm sure we've all been there. Um, and when I was in either second or third year of my undergrad degree, I discovered speed lights and um, was particularly taken by, you know, if you hold it from above and shoot down on an object, it kind of looked like it was about to be beamed up by a UFO. So I really loved that aesthetic. And I think I just watched that dreadful remake of War of the Worlds with Tom Cruise and <laughs> it was just all sort of making a lot of sense. And um, so I sort of started to really enjoy that cold white light. Um, which just lends itself to, you know, the light that you get outside of the atmosphere. And I think the other aspect that sort of comes into play is that um, by using those sort of um, common objects and casting them in this new context, I felt that I really was uh, playing a significant role in the images that I was making. Um, I think I have a bit of a hang-up about photographing things that are already beautiful or already significant and um, so that was another sort of aspect that played in. And the other thing is that I just really would love to go to the space station and, you know, float around out there. And this was my way of participating in that journey and that exploration and, you know, being on the final frontier and being a part. So without doing astrophysics. So... <laughs> So, so you're, you're, you're science nerd or Bowie fan, like, like <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You know, there is a, a romance about space uh, it, from one side and there's a romance from space. So where do you fit in that? What's I'm definitely more the, yeah, the Bowie, the emotional. Yeah, it's the gotcha. feeling. It's not, I couldn't, gotcha. I, I, sometimes I forget what NASA stands for. That's so embarrassing. But, um, yeah, it's not the science. It's the feeling. It's the emotion of it. And, yes, a lot of Bowie, a lot of. Radiohead and um, Zimmer, always Zimmer, okay. Interstellar, big fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, yeah, yeah. it's the emotion it. of it, yeah. I got one for you. Have you have you heard of John Roderick and the Long Winters, The Commander Thinks Aloud? Which no, is, I have not. Oh, beautiful. Hey, I, this is the first time I actually may have a little bit of cred here with a, such a cool young person as yourself. <laughs> so you've got to listen to it. It was a... Um, a song he made after the Challenger disaster, and it is so touching. It is just beautiful, and yeah. you know. So I, I, I think there's there. I get the romance from that side, and I've got the bit of the space nerdy thing as well. I think I think everyone has it in them somewhere. Uh, I, I do, and that that beautiful Sagan quote about the little marble. You know, uh, I think that really helps you know, frame it. And you've got it behind you. You've got it going on behind you. <laughs> which is cool. So, so the, the black's not a goth thing. It's just a fascination <laughs> with, the, with the space, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so I noticed on your, your website with the lockdown stuff, you had some little, little projects to help people think about uh, the way you work. And it's kind of a great uh, let in to, to what you're doing. Tell us about that I mean, I know where it came from. We're all trying to help people and make people yeah. feel good. But th what you've done there is given – and I made me smile. I mean, I know how you make your stuff, but it gave <laughs> me a smile from ear to ear. So just tell us how, we, how you did that and why you did that and all that. Yeah, I, um, I'd forgotten about that for a few minutes. Um, yeah, it was sort of the start of the lockdown and I think, you know, I had a bit of, you know, where can I channel my energy and, you know, you feel obligated to do something um, and – yeah, I think people find that stuff interesting when you can package it quite simply and, and in a way that's accessible because I was using my phone to shoot 
those little examples. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just wanted to share and, um, and show people that they can do those things and see those things. Like I know, um, yes, you're (laughs) one of your top, top shows, Proximal Orbit, when people coming out or, um, you know, getting in touch afterwards, they'd say, I'm, I'm looking at things differently now. Or I, um, one friend says that, um, her and her partner, they call things a Steph moment and one of them will have one of these moments and they'll say it to the other one and they'll know what the other is talking about after going to the show. So it was like, well, you can have, you can generate them yourselves. You can, you know, discover little worlds within, you know, wet concrete or (laughs) salt thrown on a kitchen bench. So, um, and I have had some people, I think people have been quite busy and not everyone's, you know, got the time to go and fiddle around, but I've had people sort of show what they've made and, you know, someone made a moon out of their kitchen table and all the textures, you know, worked together really well. Um, yeah, someone just had a, like a rendered wall, but the light from the side made it all glittery. It's amazing just seeing other people run with that same way of seeing. So yeah, I'm glad I put it out. Thanks for reminding me that. I I think it was smart. (laughs) It's, uh, and I remember from the artist talk at Proximal Orbit and you were talking about, you know, that you're discovering these little things. One thing to discover it, another thing to turn it into a, such a big show and such a comprehensive professional show, uh, that, you know, that I'm, I'm always curious about the way people decide to consume spaces with their exhibition work, not spaces out of space, but, you know, the room that they're showing the work in. And I think art's moved to a point, visual art um, has moved to a point now where you need to do a little bit more than make an, a nice idea and a nice picture. And um, you need to have an artist statement too that talks about it. But it goes beyond that. You need to attack the space and take your visitors on a journey and that 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 use of the space was really clever so how did you go about it you you, were you offered that space tell us about Um, that I applied for that space um and it was because that you know once you so it was at the wonderful praxis art space thank you um (laughs) yeah thank you to the team there they're fantastic um and I applied for that space because you sort of walk in and you are, there's no windows, you're just immersed. And that was the quality that came up the most in my planning or sort of, you know, what I wanted for this show is I wanted people to feel surrounded and immersed and um, not have those, you know, not be able to look out a window and be reminded that actually you're in the middle of Adelaide and, oh, look at that person walking their dog. You know, I wanted it to be really um, all-consuming. So that's why I applied for that uh, gallery space. And, yeah, I was very fortunate that the team were keen um, and there was a lot of uh, collaborative problem-solving around how to, you know, make it as dark yet still be able to see the work And because there was only one light box, so <laughs> there were challenges there. Um, and getting, yeah, painting walls black, that was a big ask. I still can't believe <laughs> we did that because <laughs> there were some big walls. Um, yeah, and I think there was a lot of apprehension around just how big that space is, but remembering that when you bring the work in, the work needs breathing room and, you know, like I remember having one work just was the only work for <laughs> quite a large chunk of the gallery um, and, you know, feeling those things through as we went through that process. So, um, yeah, it was a really great experience and I feel like 
I was really fortunate in that what I envisaged for that show was what we got, what we ended up with. So, yeah, fantastic fun. Did you find yourself, uh, you had a fair idea of what you were going to put in there. Did you find yourself editing based on the space or did you have enough time from knowing the space to say, okay, I need these pieces to go here and I need this and which way did it happen, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) It was pretty... Um, in terms of the amount of work that I had, I think I only dropped one or two pieces um, and that was more to do with the, you know, whether I thought they were at the same level as the rest of the work. Um, otherwise, I just got pretty lucky. Like I had a couple of little ones that fit nicely on one slightly smaller wall and then the rest were all mostly the same size um, spread across. And, I, you know, how much do you spread? That's, you know, it worked yeah. out pretty well that way. Um, I had two prints that I'd framed uh, back in a grad show that were still part of that body of work that worked perfectly in the front room and they had white frames which I'd forgotten till the last minute so the front <laughs> gallery was white walls so that kind of just all worked out amazingly these are the things no one tells you no. um, so yeah it was just kind of whatever made the most sense was what happened and yeah whichever works needed the most breathing room got it and yeah it just kind of worked out and did you have a lot of time for that bump in where you could play around with that? Was there enough breathing room for the space? I think so. God, it's going back a little while. Oh, yeah, I'm um, sorry. That's unkind yeah. of me, isn't it? <laughs> All good. Um, the team's professionalism was really, you know, made yeah. sure that we were, you know, get hitting the right milestones at the right time. Um, but it didn't feel rushed and I was pretty keen to, <laughs> I think I downloaded a diagram pretty early on and was trying right. to you know, drag and drop things on Photoshop thinking they were to scale. Um, so I sort of had an idea about which works, you know, had a dialogue and, and what went where pretty early on. So I think that just kind of worked out quite well as in the scheme of things. I don't think there was any real overhauls about, oh, no, this is all going over the other side. Um, I think Gabby and I were pretty um, on the same page about what would go where. Yeah, it seemed to be... Uh, I, I mean, it just felt like there was someone who really knew what they wanted to do and knew how to how to run that space. Uh, and I know, yeah, getting a miniature of the walls and and scale mapping the whole thing out, you, you know, you can do that. Maybe if you didn't have a lot of bump in time, that's, you know, a good way to go. But there's nothing like standing in front of the piece and going... I, I mean, I remember the discussion when I came around early. Uh, you were worried about some of the blacks versus the black in the wall versus the black in the frame. You know, they were working. And look, these are last minute things you don't, because there's no such thing as, as a black. I mean, no. I've learned that black. now. <laughs> well, you knew that, didn't you? Surely. <laughs> but it scared the life out of you when you're the there. The frame and the print though was just so many things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And some blacks not being like super rich, having, ha- having been, I mean, I, I, my first word that comes to the tongue is insipid. But it was, none of them were insipid, but they were just not as full as a rich black. They're important because they tell another part of a story. You know, you need that to show a bit of detail because a full rich black, you just lose detail completely. And But it was very effective with the pools of light falling on these dark images and you felt like you had to move around carefully uh, so you didn't, you know, what's in this space kind of. And that was what you wanted, wasn't it? To um, it works to emerge out the darkness. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want the walls to be apparent. <laughs> at all. Yeah, well, it worked. Well, it worked. And you played with projection as well, I noticed. And and the crew also put a brand new projector up for you, which was just yeah, amazing, wasn't it? They are the best. <laughs> Absolutely the best. Yeah, uh, that was my first time ever experimenting with a projected work. So yeah, that was a fantastic opportunity. So I'm forever grateful. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, Mark. Um, and yeah, people seeing people walk through, tying back to that whole idea of the exhibition as a whole thing, uh, watching people walk through that work that was projected from the ceiling to the floor and sort of observe the work on them on their person was another thing again. So yeah, it was was a lot going on. <laughs> it was a whole experience, and I did very much like. I thought the little projection room, which showed you, I mean, it wasn't the same as the videos of you making the images, but it was. It was like the lunar landing, lunar lander coming down to the surface of mo the moon, or or giant legged creatures from from uh, you know uh, some horror film or something. And and they were you could see you could see how you made them. They kind of revealed a little bit behind the curtain, uh, but they they were delightful. You know that that idea of the space moving into a really dark room, sitting down and feeling that a bit more of your process. That was. Yeah, that was great. Did you learn, like, you obviously haven't worked with motion much before. Is that something that was hard to pick up and get into? Yeah, it felt very ambitious, that work. Um, I'd actually finished that the year before and exhibited it on its own, just the video itself. Um, yeah, it, very uncharted territory and still is for me, but I quite enjoy it. I think it sort of fills, uh, in the context of that work, it sort of filled the need where, photography couldn't quite capture something that had motion so in this context it's the shooting star and the jolt of seeing it move I couldn't really I couldn't quite recreate that with a photograph so that's that's actually the push that got me into experimenting with moving image um, and that work in particular was actually inspired this is where the cheesiness comes back in it was inspired by those sort of montages that you see on YouTube with the inspirational music in the background of those little clips from the ISS, you know, where you see the earth spinning for 30 seconds and then it cuts to someone doing a moonwalk or, um, you know, the cargo ship docking. It was sort of a my take on, oh, well, I can make one of those because I can go to space too. So that's what that was sort of modelled off, you know, that sort of, you know, five-minute long here, come into space, see some things. Um, so that, yeah, that was the origin of that little one. Yeah, it, it worked. It's and it it was delight. I mean, it was a delightful experience, especially when you realise what you're looking at and you saw like, oh, you're zooming over a jumper or a piece of fabric or something <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, wonderful little metaphors for the way we look at things, and also a, a metaphor. And I think probably considering lockdown and considering how much isolation everyone's been in, you know, you start to look. We all want to look at bigger things and look for bigger things, but when we look inside and look below our feet and look on the shelf and get really close to things. It's a, it's really interesting, isn't it? There's so much to be seen and found. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that someone called me out before or didn't call me out, but I did, had a moment where I realized that not everyone spends as much time lying on the floor as I do. Like at some point <laughs> it occurred to me that it was an odd thing to do. And yeah, just kind of, like I love snails and anything that sort of gets me thinking from normal scale down to this focus on, yeah, something a lot smaller. And it's 
I think about once you start thinking about something that small, everything else is massive. And I think that's where the connection back to the vastness of space sort of comes from. But yeah, I love it. I think it's fascinating just to, I mean, it's just bug watching on one sense, but I think finding those textures and um, different roles of objects that you yeah. are surrounded by and that are completely mundane is, is fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of the space imagery is so familiar to us that, you know, we, it kind of triggers that and you go, oh, I know what I'm looking at. And I go, no, I'm not. Steph's doing, done it again. <laughs> um, uh, so with the, you obviously work practically, you're working uh, with macro gear and, you know, macro lenses and that kind of stuff and and uh, and torch light or strobe light or what are you working with for some of this stuff? Yeah, yeah. So I have to work digitally, obviously, because <laughs> it's so precise. Um, and sometimes it's a torch, sometimes it's a strobe. Uh, most of Proximal Orbit was strobe light, but um, yeah, now I'm just kind of torch in the pocket and playing around and getting that instant visual feedback about you know what direction and you know what looks right um yeah and filling I think proximal orbit in particular um every image took you know at least one session but sometimes multiple sessions where I'd shoot and have I achieved that you know iconic composition you know mimicking a NASA photograph or um, no, something about that's not quite right. Go back and, and reshoot, you know, these very staged images. Um, I'm starting to relax a little bit and be a little bit more fluid in my working. But, yeah, there was a, <laughs> quite meticulous and not the best gear, I'll be completely honest. I'm not a, you know how you're saying, <laughs> science or, or Bowie. Um, I'm not a tech head. Like I just, it's I, you know, tweak until it's right again. You know, I, I can't go, oh, yes, I shot that on, you know, this yeah. shutter speed and I never retain that. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a not a techie, so don't ask me too many questions. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going. I don't, I don't I'm not. <laughs> frankly, that stuff really bores me. I, I just, I just not, I'm trying to be the person listening and thinking, well, yeah, yeah. they might be curious about those sorts of things. It was interesting uh, when I interviewed Ragni from uh, Denmark a, few weeks ago she was using um she discovered a loom uh, uh it wasn't as an olympus system that allowed you to light paint and live see the results build as you paint with oh, light wow. and, you know little things like that can really change the way you work and certainly changed her way because light painting used to be especially on the film days where you'd have days to see whether you did it right and to learn that next step but the instant feedback that you get from the way you work especially when you're close focusing and, and objects and, and working with trained daddy long leg spiders and, and all that <laughs> kind of stuff as well. Um, so tell us, um, I noticed that you were working on a, an exhibition, uh, Two Minutes to Midnight, that was put together. Uh, is that, a, is that a, a, a dark title? I mean, we've, we've used Minutes to Midnight as a term for, you know, how close we are to nuclear holocaust in the past. Is it is it along those lines? I I couldn't kind of draw it out. Yeah. So um, Steph Sivich uh, came to me with this idea for an exhibition, and um, myself and Amelia Kasimovich. And yeah, it is what it sounds like. It's that two minutes to midnight is a reference to the doomsday clock, and we were sort of brainstorming for this exhibition uh, late 2019. So it was before COVID and before the fires. So 
it took on yeah new significance <laughs> as time went on and the exhibition itself unfortunately was postponed it was meant to open on the 1st of april um and yeah that was april right Fool's when, day yeah i know not a joke no, was that on purpose to no i think it was just when felt it was the wednesday or whatever it was um it was meant to be at felt space um that was just when it landed and um yeah so that um got you know had the rug pulled out from under us but um yeah making that work was a nice challenge because it was um it wasn't space and i wasn't sure if i could you know start with a concept and i mean it sounds so redundant but to start with a concept and work to it instead of just going with what i already liked to make and you know i think my space stuff is really not political it's just wouldn't it be it's quite fanciful to me because it's you know I'd really love to go to space and here's my way of getting there whereas you know this exhibition two minutes to midnight was was more about um you know fear and and what could happen and yeah while I was making the work it was what is happening because the country was on fire so that was a really um interesting and I think sort of formative experience to go through like I've never really made work in anger before um so that was yeah quite interesting and I feel really weird and conflicted that I've made work that I'm really excited by and I'm not quite sure when it's going to be shown because yeah everything's been postponed so I don't know when that'll go um be released into the world but I'm excited to eventually show it so you wouldn't revisit it considering the conditions you wouldn't like it's it's a package you've finished with it and you're on to your next project. Um, I think I could pick it up again. I was doing some portraits of eucalyptus trees that doesn't really have an end point. But I, when COVID started, I just wasn't in the right space to be making it anymore. So I think I might be able to revisit it. But I, yeah, it's on pause for now. And if we get more space to exhibit or something <laughs> something like yeah. that happens, I've got enough work for the show, but maybe um, I think it's got legs and I yeah. could come back to it. But, um, yeah, the work the work's made <laughs> for exhibition. We just wow. couldn't open, yeah, yeah, or install. So it was, it was, it, you said it was made in anger, which is, uh, you know, I, your work, in my understanding, has been quite optimistic and I always think of space stuff as, as optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, with and, I, and you look at all the, the the astronauts and the reason for the space programs, and it is a, a really positive thing. Um, with some of your early work, I, I was I noted back. I think it was a wash, um, yeah. which would be one of your early um, early series. Is that? Uh, I mean, that's from a place that doesn't seem particularly comfortable. No. Um yeah, that work was made um, after the loss of a relative to suicide. So that was definitely from a, yeah, quite an intense place. Um, but yeah, not anger. It was just a, it's hard to describe it being so distanced from that time, but I think it was more about that inward feeling um, and how ordinary spaces felt completely imbued with new um tones and feelings and um almost like vacant spaces like the empty space in a room felt like heavy it felt like full um 
yeah so that was an interesting time and yeah probably the first time I was really making work that was a response to something so yeah I guess you're right I have made work in response to something but um yeah that was a a more inward kind of reflection I think yeah you can feel it in the work it's very singular and very and quite lonely and um yeah I, I can I can I can imagine I think it does speak very strongly that there is something more happening uh in the images and it's and it's great to that you've been able to put that together it's particularly you know at, at a point in your career where I, I don't know when it was with within everything but it can't have been long after graduation I expect no it was um before I between finishing um my undergrad and completing masters it was in between there yeah so I was still studying cool so are you how are you feeling now that we're you know things are easing here in South Australia and it's you said you were having difficulty at the beginning of lockdown with not sure what to do and then you made those little pieces to sort of challenge people and show people how you work. How are you feeling now and where are you headed? Well, I, I've admitted something that I – well, not on purpose, but I, I have a body of work. This will be quite exciting for people. My biggest undertaking to date um, – I haven't mentioned it yet, but – Hang on, let me just stop you there. Pro- <laughs> proximal or, but how many years did it take you to put that together? Proximal okay, well, or? I wasn't working on it all the time, but it, no. was, <laughs> but it was five years, I think, okay. between making okay. the first works. And, and <laughs> so, yeah, that was big. This is bigger That's than big. that. It's bigger. <laughs> yeah, this is big too. Um, it's a different way of working. I'm. Uh, it doesn't have a title yet, but it's a series of works that, oh, and this is the other thing. I thought I would eventually move away from space, but I started doing more space and it's different space. It's not, uh, every image is, is hardly, it's not staged. It's stuff that I've come across. It's, it's looking at our coast and finding space in, in the, you know, at the beach that you think of as, you know, sunny yellows and watery blues and it's not I'm finding amazing things and I'm just shooting in a very haphazard sort of way and not discovering which images are really imbued with you know mystery until I come back and turn them black and white and darken them and it's really (laughs) I'm very excited by it it's really fun you know you get these some of these grains of sand just drop away into the dark and then some of them, you know, rise up and they're your sky full of stars and um, there's so much there. The, once I started it, I was ju- there's just so much. So I've been shooting that since late 2019. Um, it sort of had to get put on the shelf when I was doing the two minutes to midnight work. But um, now that I'm in lockdown, essentially, I've been able to revisit the thousands and thousands of images that I've taken and yeah currently once I finish work I stay on my computer to sort through um I'm trying to narrow it down to 100 images and it's proving very difficult but in the best way so yeah I actually have plenty that I'm excited to be working on but um just nothing that I can put out yet (laughs) no 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 so your process is to uh you gather the like the ideas there Right, and then you start gathering stuff. Are you going back through a back catalogue, or did you go out and shoot like a mad person? <laughs> it used to be that I'd think of well, especially when I was really borrowing from NASA photographs for compositions and whatnot. Um, a lot of the time, it's you know uh, 
I want to, you know, I've really got to pull towards this image, maybe a sketch, and I'd, you know, think about what the subject, well, the object was, like, okay, this is going to be done by a snail or a daddy long legs is going to be the rover. And it would have a lot of forethought, um, especially when you have to ask someone, can I put a spider on you? And, you know, can this person hold the light and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Thank you, Phoebe. That was great for modeling for that. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. Um, but, yeah, it's changing now. I think I'm enjoying now having a um, – I know what I'm – I know I'm looking for space, but I don't know what composition. I don't know what it is. And I think um, – I said before that I have a real hang-up about not influencing a scene and it not being my work. And I think I get around this because uh, even I don't know if an image is going to be, you know, a good resulting image until I've, you know <laughs> – turned it almost all the way black and then brought it back a little bit until a comet pops out or, you know, something like that. So it's it's an entirely different way of working for me, which is exciting and it means that I am much more productive. So I have been shooting like a mad woman. I've, I think I've got, you know, 15 folders of beach shots and some of them I went to three different beaches in one day and, um, yeah, every time I'll focus on something different and, yeah, there's a plethora of... <laughs> Of beach pics, <laughs> so so yeah, so it's a curator curatorial approach to the work where you're going, you know, and you're seeing stuff emerge out of the body that you've created, uh, and you're seeing these pieces and you're drawing the parallels and the stories out of it. Because I suppose every like there's a limited amount of NASA photos. <laughs> I mean, there might be tons of copies or stuff of that we haven't seen of, <laughs> of the real aliens, you know, the Area 51 <laughs> stuff and all that. Um, but there's, you know, we've seen this competitions. We know them. And you've you got to run out of them at some stage uh, <laughs> until Elon gets up there and starts photographing things or whoever. Yeah, um, I haven't Richard. done the car yet. I'll have to get a little Hot Wheels out and, you know, <laughs> pop a snail in there or something. <laughs> But yeah. Like now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. It really is, and and of course the beach, uh, it's a a littoral zone and an edge zone between two places. The ocean is a different world. The earth is a different world, and our the atmosphere is almost the beach, isn't it? In some ways, it's that it's that band. I think you'll have to write my artist statement, Paul. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> my brain races off on this stuff. I get really excited at the metaphor and, and all those. Sort of th I think that's why I found myself kind of connected to the work because it's, you know, it, it, it's great the way, the way it sort of comes together. So are you, you, you are, you're working in a, in a, in an, again, back in an optimistic field and you're working in a different way. So you've, you've clearly pivoted a bit from your original intentions do you feel you could still work the other way go back in a whole holy plan thing or are we just enjoying this too much I think um I have done a little bit like I did a couple of images um when we first went into lockdown for no particular reason and yeah some of them were quite meticulous and you know you shoot however many hundred photos and oh that's the one the water drop did what I wanted in that one particular image and that was absolutely shades of the proximal orbit way of working you know it was just so frustrating and you know go back and do it again go back and do it again move the light an inch you know all of that jazz um so it's I'm it's nice to know that I can still do that and still find it rewarding and not want to pull my hair out completely um 
but yeah at the same time I am really enjoying this yeah like you said being more of a curator of those images that reveal the things to me you know uh after they've been shot without that immediacy is um I think it's pushing me as an artist because I think you know you think you know whether something's a good shot when the first time you see it and you know I'm going back through going oh actually that's got potential or if I just bring those tones down and let that one thing shine a little bit more on its own you know it has a different meaning and um that's I like being challenged that way yeah yeah and and working in in such like the dark end of the spectrum of the the light spectrum uh so much do you struggle with rendering what you see into print does that does that bug you what you're yeah, I like I thought I had detail there you know <laughs> yeah I think um we're about to cross that bridge together Paul so when I have to print this series I'm sure I'll be crying somewhere in the corner of Atkins about my details um yeah yeah I don't think we've struggled personally I, I might speak to David but I don't think we've had that it seems to be you've got a bit of a handle on that yeah I no mean, yeah but I think I'm at that point now where I'm really pushing it like before yeah. it was like no am I lighting I'll fiddle with that and now it's I've already shot the work, you know, I've already shot this image. I'll never find this particular shell at the particular beach ever again. So I'm working with what I've got and I'll push it. So, yeah, I'm sure I will find the limit this time and, yeah, have to, you know, swallow my pride and say, okay, that's what it is. Um, Yeah, so that's, yeah, I'm working in those spaces now and, yeah, wondering just how calibrated my screen is. So (laughs) it's an adventure for when we can come back to the shop and yeah. yeah. That's going to be super interesting uh, to see that, um, that, that sort of evolution of the work and to see you working that way. I mean, I'd be surprised if it's a challenge. I mean, one of the things that I've, I've noted and I, I don't know whether it was the, whether it's a personal thing or the, the master of visual arts, whether that the professionalism with which you approach all those aspects of it, a lot of people go, oh, yeah, I want to have an exhibition and I'm just going to, you know, these are my pictures. And you look at them and you go, where's the theme? Just to start with, I haven't even thought at that point. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that sort of, that professionalism of, of, of putting, planning a show and putting it together and all those little things you gotta, you got to remember? Yeah, I guess it's something that wasn't instant by any means. Um, I started off, I think my first exhibition was... Um, one in Red Poles at um, oh, yeah. in McLarenville. Thank you, Dana Kinter, for helping me out when I didn't have a clue. Yeah, let's ground this in. I once handed someone some work and forgot to put um, D rings on it, and I did because I didn't know what they were, and I hadn't titled any of the work, even though I was clearly expected to do so. So, everyone starts <laughs> there, I think. Um, so yeah, thanks, Dana. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just little bits in group shows and then I think eventually you go no I want to control this narrative and I think yeah I guess I think because I'd been working on well I went from a wash the one that you're talking about with the um you know responding to that loss I think was the first solo exhibition that I did and yeah I, I guess it already had a really strong uh narrative or um you know concept behind it so i there was never really a conscious moment where I thought, okay, now I'm going to start working, you know, exclusively in solo shows. And I think it almost was the chicken before the egg or whatever you want to call it that because the work 
was so uh, personal or, you know, rooted in something that was, yeah, so important, you couldn't put that in a group show. Like you can't go and go, oh, here's my here's my work about loss and it's next to someone's, you know, work about, you know, farts or something. You know, you, you have to have, you have to have control of that context. So I think that's where it came from. And, you know, when I was making, um, and actually I will say, there was a lot of opportunities that I could have gone for that I didn't take because I think my work didn't suit it anyway. Like I have not really put stuff in cafes because a lot of my photographs had, you know, dead foxes and, and things that didn't really suit that tone anyway. Um, so that <laughs> sort of narrowed my Makes choice. Sense. But, yeah, I think you want to control the narrative. You want to control the reaction. You know, I think some of my work you could go, oh, that's funny. I don't want it to be funny. I want it to be serious. I want it to be that you you know that you're going into a space to see the work and you go in there and you give it the reverence that I want you to give it. You know, only so much you can control that, but, um, you know, you can set it up that way. So I think that's where it comes from. Um, you know, I take the work seriously and I'd love everyone else to. So um, if it means waiting five years to find the right gallery space, so be it. <laughs> um, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> no, I really do. It's that patience. I, I pe most photographers produce a lot of stuff, and they're ready to hop onto the next thing, and they they just I don't know. There, there seems to be a little bit of a impatience to to get stuff and to be climbing the ladder and to be on with it. And I think about yourself, and I think about Alice Blanche, and you know, Alice will sit on something for years, and she'll write about it, and um, and you know, she'll collect the work she'll walk by herself for two weeks in the middle of nowhere and create stuff and it's that that slow slow consumption of the idea I mean you'd hope the idea is a good one to start with before you, <laughs> you you take five years to do it but it is awesome it produces a lot so tell me how much of that came out of getting a master's of visual art like how helpful was that to you did that lay a foundation or did it did it pick you up and push in the right direction or, you know, was it a waste of time? <laughs> I know Mark Kimber doesn't listen to this stuff, so don't <laughs> You can say whatever you want. Actually, no, Mark was my undergrad, so and that was great. So he's safe anyway. Um, yeah, <laughs> Masters was like I, I think it was the last year that you could um, put it on Hex. So yep. I think I might have taken a break or, you know, done something else, but it was like, oh, no, do it now. So I went straight from undergrad to um, a grad dip that you turn into a master's with an extra year. And I really value it for the fact that I just had to keep pushing what I had got to. And I think I had a great time in undergrad, you know, finding all these tools, you know, I found, I found my, you know, black tones and I found my cold white light. Um, and I think, yeah, sticking around for postgrad was like, no, no, keep pushing, keep going. What are you doing with these things? What's the story that you're telling? And um, yeah, a lot of the, some of the work originated, well, the, the concept for Proximal Orbit was, yeah, seeded in, in my postgrad study. And I think some of the works, yeah, are from 2014 and I exhibited them or I presented them um, as part of my master's. Um, but I, I wasn't like, I don't think it was fully refined there that I, um, I didn't, I didn't nail my masters. Like I, I did, I got it. I <laughs> passed, but I, um, it needed further refining. So maybe that's why it took five years. 
Um, but yeah, it was definitely worth it for that push. And, you know, if, what if I had just stopped and I just kind of fizzled out and, you know, yeah. had the work was half the, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to think about that. Like but. most of us end up doing, you know, like <laughs> I think it was the last two guests that said they're proud graduates of the, of the school of, I didn't finish it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but you did that. Maybe it was a structure that, that you liked and the, the goal that it was imposed on you and the desire for completion that really pulled you through and got you to those over those hurdles and those milestones because it's a it's a big thing and it's it's a big thing to be prepared to take on a huge space and put something out into it like um you know like uh, praxis and 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 you know felt to some extent and all those spaces that you you got it and it's yours is your blank canvas to go yeah. and tell the story and that's like the isn't that an artist's scariest thing in the world the blank canvas um, yeah yeah, it is terrifying. Even I remember um, in a uh, Flinders Medical Centre, I had a really long corridor and that was terrifying enough. <laughs> yeah, it is. There's, Suddenly, actually, there's been a great history. I'm just going to the Flinders. You did an artisan res residency at Flinders Medical. There's been a lot of interesting artists, like Matt Netheim was one of the first that I came across and he ended up, was he working for Where the Wild Things Are? You know, the, the film, I think he was. Uh, uh, yeah. That's cinematographer great. or director on that or something. So you've got, you've got like it's a pretty important thing to get uh, artisan residency. What does it? What does an artisan residency mean? Uh, how does well, that work? I think they're all different, but that one was about and actually it was quite unique because um, my dad worked in the department that I, you know, was sort of shadowing. Um, but it was a chance to respond to that environment. I mean, you know, art and hospitals, they are, you know quite entrenched but um you know yeah. on the surface that's quite a a strange pairing but um that was a great experience because I took that um you know idea of recreating something with completely different objects or or seeing seeing the image in a collection of things that were unrelated and applied that by um immersing myself in the medical imaging department across all the modalities um, and that was just fascinating in itself because you know I'd never seen um, like angiography and um, all of these images were just really wild to me and I have a little bit of newfound respect for my uh, dad as a radiographer who always says oh well I work with images so it makes sense that you work with images like okay <laughs> sure you can have that um, yeah so that was really fantastic and I am really enjoyed that it was challenging to try and be like no I'm going to recreate this x-ray of a knee and the snail will be the patella because it has to and yeah it was very um laborious and intense and I, <laughs> I could tell you the story of I went across the across town trying to find this particular leaf that had to play the role of the four chambers of the heart. It looks like a four-leaf clover can't remember what it's called um so there was drama there was you know avidly combing gum tree and um it was super involved and I didn't I think when I applied for the residency I didn't, didn't quite anticipate how um dramatic the whole thing would be but yeah I uh, exhibited those works in the promenade gallery um huge thanks to arts and health at FMC they do fantastic work um and yeah that was a great experience learning about you know you speak of professionalism, you know, what What are my obligations and am I doing the right things? Um, also in a hospital, 
you've got to be really respectful of, you know, privacy and, um, you know, what role you're playing and, and are you being invasive at all? Um, so it was nice to just be a fly on the wall and see lots of really stimulating visual things and, and respond to that. And I think the responses were <laughs> interesting. Some people they're just, cool. oh, they're nice. And it's like, oh, you yeah, haven't read the, the statement. So I'm happy for it to be a nice picture. And some people, you'd watch them, they'd they'd walk along the corridor and they go, oh, yeah. And then they'd get to the last one and you'd see them twig that there was something else going on and then they'd go back. And I think when I was there, I had someone go, what's this one? What's that meant to be? Is that a, is that a brain? Is that, you know, so there was a lot of fun in um, people trying to decode or figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's sort of like, it's, it's great because there's a lot of art that isn't accessible. And if you're going to be hanging it in a space like a hospital, which I know art as healing is a, always a thing that's discussed, but there's a lot of people who are just on hold in their life. And these corridors are just, they're awful things in some ways where people just trolling up and down trying to get some stimulation. And, and I think artists and residencies great. So it gives you access to certain areas and departments. And they say you get introductions, obviously, and then permission to uh, photograph in certain environments. Is that the case? I, um, I think I had permission to do more than I actually felt comfortable doing. I didn't right. photograph anything on hospital grounds or, you know, any goings on, I am, um, I more sort of noted what kind of uh, imagery I was looking at, like, okay, this is a, right. a knee, or this is a brain, or yeah. this is a, you know, ultrasound versus x-ray, all of those sort of things, and just tried to just sort of um, just be an observer first, and then let the ideas develop when I'd had the chance to sort of go away and think about them, and like, oh, which image really did stand out? Which ones am I still thinking about after I've gone home? Um, and the images themselves were made um, at home in my <laughs> spare room studio. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think I was a little, I think I was a little timid about, you know, you are in a hospital, and yes, the residency exists, and you're allowed to be there. But yeah, it was a, I probably could have let go a little bit more, but there's a, I was a quite hesitant about, you know being in that space and, you know, taking up anybody's time because there's important life-saving work going on. So, yeah, yes, yeah. it was interesting. No, I get that. I'm surprised that microscopy didn't, like, grab you then. You know, cell-level imagery <laughs> yeah. is incredible. Uh, the next one, definitely. Is that, <laughs> you can have a microscope set up in that spare room. Yeah. They, oh, don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's it's a huge opportunity. How you uh, would you chase a residency again? Is that something you'd you'd like to do again? I think so. Yeah, especially now that I've loosened up a bit with how I'm working, um, and yeah, sort of pulling images and you know being a bit more um, creative about that process instead of shoot. Is it good? Okay, it's in the collection. You know, I think it would be interesting to go through a residency now with that sort of new way of working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Hayley Lane went to Antarctica. I think you should be on the International Space Station, all right? That's my vote. I'll take it. Just tell them to, to speak to me and I'll, I'll write a nice letter for you, huh? Oh, thank you, Paul. That'll do the trick, I'm sure. <laughs> all right, then. Well, I'm going to let you be because I've taken up a, a wonderful hour and it's been just absolutely charming and fantastic and uh, so great to hear you know, what goes inside your head and 
what you've done and what's influenced you. And I, I can't wait to see. I, I really want to see minutes to midnight, two minutes to midnight, because you know that stuff scares the shit out of me. So I, I'd like a bit of being scared. And I think back to Trent Park's book and and show minutes to midnight, which you know is just Mike. I just got a signed copy of it from Trent, ah. and my daughters are like, who are both art freaks, are both. Oh my god, this stuff is. It's just so amazing. So I can't wait to see your participation in the idea and and that kind of stuff. So hopefully we get to see a show coming out late in the year. Do you think it might happen this year? I think it might be next year, but when it comes, it'll be good because we've had more time to reflect and refine our messaging and, you know, all of that jazz and maybe add, maybe add to it. So we'll see. (laughs) I'll be, I'll let you know. You'll be the first to know. Let's put it that way. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, look, congratulations on a fab career and I just can't, I just sit around and watch all you wonderful people make great stuff and I just soak it up and, you know, it's my drug, so. We do (laughs) it for you, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, yay. All right, then, we'll see you soon, Steph. Thank you, Paul. So, welcome back, everybody, after a interview with Steph Fuller. What were your thoughts, Kate? I think the thing that I should have said before the interview was played is that I think I think what's kind of magical about her work is the way and the that is very applicable to commercial when I say commercial photographers I mean non-artist non-fine art artist photographers is the way that she takes the mundane and makes it hyper real and makes it supernatural and makes it um sort of mystical yeah yeah otherworldly yeah and that i think is what photographers all photographers do, try to do they try to take those you know like how many weddings are there a, a year yeah. 50 million weddings and, and everybody is Everybody, we're not. Yeah, we're not all models. Yeah. We're not yeah. all. And there's only we're, so we're many. We're not, as in you and I are models. Well, we're models. <laughs> Obs, um, as the one viewer knows. Um, <laughs> that she, she, t- you know, like there's so much. There are so many. Like weddings are are the same everywhere in many many respects, and families are the same everywhere in many respects, and yet photographers routinely are capable of finding these unique wild, beautiful moments inside what could be viewed as mundane and and sort of standard and boring. Um, and I think that's what photographers do and I think that that's why they're so precious. Yeah. No, you're spot on. And and Steph is looking at little moments and little vignettes and, and little critters and, yeah. and all that and that's what she's making something special and grand and giving them a stage mm. to have the little plays on. Yeah. The, the, and the series with the, about the family member who's suicided is just heartbreakingly yeah, beautiful. It is, isn't it? So, yeah, she's a rock star, but, you know, you got a moment, a moment of something. I have a moment of colour and guess what you're wearing? The correct colour. The correct colour for what? Woo! Thank you to oh, yeah. H&M menswear department, which is frankly the only area of H&M you should be shopping in. Why, why should no we offense, be shopping in H&M Because menswear? the H&M menswear department is so much better than the rest of H&M, which is all just plastic shit. H&M men department, look, look at this. Cotton, pure cotton knit, 39 bucks. The sleeves are long enough for us lanky people. It's glory. Mm. I love it. I'm basically in menswear. I'm basically in drag 24-7. <laughs> 
Well, you look great. <laughs> I, mean, I wear all menswear except my, my bras are not men's bras because they haven't invented good men's bras yet. But you know what? If men demanded bras tomorrow, you can damn well be sure they'd be amazing bras and they'd be like in packs of 20 for 15 bucks. Meanwhile, Back shut up. Meanwhile, shut up. Do your moment of colour, dickhead. Okay. <laughs> I really like brown. I'm, I'm a, I'm, I didn't realise how much brown I like brown. Brown town. But I was very excited because... Uh, the most photographic of browns would be sepia, right? Are you going to talk about drab? No. Well, fuck you sideways then. Let's get, let's get, let's talk about sepia because sepia is really cool, right? Yes. But sepia was a colour originally derived from cuttlefish. 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 (laughs) (laughs) You know, South Australia is kind of famous as golf for our little cuttlefish, which a strange little... Squiddy octopusy type of things with little tentacles and they're very cute. And when you walk along the beach, you find these little, they're backbony things that you can give to your bird to sharpen its beak on. Yeah. Right? Cuttlefish are gorgeous, but they they squirting like squid mm. and octopi- octopuses. Octopussies? <laughs> <laughs> Octopus do. They're squirting. Octopuses. And guess what? The ink they squirt is sepia. Aww. Yeah, so that has been harvested for that purpose. Hang um, on, does that mean sepia is not vegan? <laughs> <laughs> sepia is not vegan. Vegans. Recipes it's and methods. It's black or white or colour, you motherfuckers. Recipe, recipes or methods of separating cephalods from their ink abounds. So that's getting the ink out. Now of you're going to make all the vegans cry. And a common procedure involves removing the sack, drying and Duh. powdering it, then boiling the extract with, Where's a, strong, the urine? with a strong alkali. And that's not Where's it. Where's the urine? To extract the pigment. Once neutralised, it could be washed, dried and ground up and made into cakes. Cakes? To the, to the, yeah, that's all, that, all those. I made a great you know, cake last night. I know you It was did. brown. Yes, it was, but it was a chocolate brown. <laughs> um, uh, all the colours we've talked about the manufacturing of generally ends up as a little cake, which they then add terps or whatever to, to turn into the paint, okay? So today, artists still value sepia ink for its red undertones. The word is more likely to be used in the context of photography. Originally, images were chemically toned to replace the silver in the silver-based prints with a more stable compound, making them last longer and bring them a symphony of warm ochres. Thank you, Cassia St. Clair. So that's that's our sepia. Now let's go on to a... Are we going to talk about drab? No. We're going to talk about mummy brown. What? <laughs> as in Egyptian? Uh-huh. Not as let in, me read this. I'm a mummy no, and no, I'm wearing brown. No, no, let me read this. On 30th of July 1904, O'Hara and Hoare placed an unusual advertisement in the Daily Mail. What they wanted at a suitable price was an Egyptian mummy. It may appear strange to you, the notice read, but we require our mummy for making colour and then to stave off any pricks of public conscience, they continued, surely a 2,000-year-old mummy of an Egyptian monarch might be used for adorning a noble fresco in Westminster Hall or else without giving offence to the ghost of the departed gentleman or his descendants. So they wanted a male mummy. So ground up mummy or mummia was applied topically or mixed. So this is not just Hang for paint. Hang on. This is not just for paint, right? Hang the fuck on. Are you saying that people got dead bodies? Yes. Which is what a mummy is. Yes. You can say it's a... Yes. Non-white body, but it's yes. a dead body. Let me, let me keep going. And they ground that shit up. They were often mixed into drinks to swallow, and it seems oh. almost nothing it could not cure. Pliny the Elder, you know, the old Pliny dude, no. recommended as a toothpaste, Francis oh. Bacon, oh. for staunching of blood, oh. and Robert Boyle for bruises, and John Hall of Shakespeare's son-in-law fame used it 
as a, for a troubling case of epilepsy. Ugh. So That's um, outrageous. So have a listen to this. Cannibals. Have a listen to this. Um, there was also some debate as to which parts of the mummy were used to get the best and the richest browns. This oh. is to use mummy as a paint. Recommended for translucent glazing layers for shadows and skin tones. Some suggested using the muscle in the flesh, while others thought that the bones and bandages <sighs> could also be ground up to get the best out of a charming pigment. However, however, listen to this. This is the part they will sock your knocks off. <laughs> right? Knock your socks off. By the beginning of the 20th century, demand was so sluggish that a single mummy might provide... Demand was sluggish. Might provide paint manufacturers with pigment for a decade or more. <gasps> C. Robertson, a London art shop that first opened its doors in 1810, finally ran out of mummy in 1960s. Stop we it! We might have a few odd limbs lying around somewhere, he, he told the managing director of Time magazine in October 64, but not enough to make any more paint. We saw our last complete mummy some years ago, I think, for £3. Probably we shouldn't have... We certainly can't get it anymore. <laughs> okay. People, How is that? People have issues with brown. And the last one. Okay. Is it poo related? Nope. Oh, how have you managed to get through <laughs> this without one poo joke? No. You know what? It's torp related. Torp. Torp. Sure. And it kind of references us a bit because colour science is a really important thing we've worked on. And there's an American scientist called Munsell who defined colour in a kind of a 3D graph, define the colour spectrum and uh, the paint and pigment colours and all that kind of stuff in a 3D graph. There was a Brit who was working a little after him, but Munsell was one of the first. And um, and interestingly enough, uh, there's some people who were working on the uh, the work of BCC afterwards, Mayers and Paul. I've, I've sent some reading. Kind They'd laboured over this task for years, but one colour that vexed both sets of researchers was torp. It actually, a French word meaning mole, as in not as in <laughs> molly, 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 mole, but as in a little creature that goes into the ground, okay. um, was a broad consensus. A deep grey on the cold side, torp was all over the place. The only thing consistently agreed upon that it was generally browner than a mole might have the right to be. The British Colour Council's assumption was that the confusion was due to ignorant English speakers not re realising that torp and mole were different words for the same thing because mole is... is French for, torp is French for the mole, okay? Okay. Mayers and Paul were on a rather more thorough, they set out an expedition around the zoological museums of the United States and France to look at foreign specimens of the genus Talpa and determine which was the logical reason for using both terms. So they tried to work out what was um, actually uh, the mole and what was the, what colour was the mole, so what colour was actually torp. And they ended up settling on. Did they just kill talk. a bunch of moles? I don't think they killed I'm them. They just the looked mic. at the colour. We're not, we're not, <coughs> we're not killing them. So there you go. That's your moments of colour. Thank you, Cassie Saint Clair. Molly the mummy brown. Of how good was the moments of brown? The moments of colour brown. I can't brown. believe how disgusting humans are. I know. Grinding up mummies. That's Crazy. that's wrong town. It's a good story, and I've actually um, I would highly recommend anyone read it because there was a few other stories in the Brown, including Khaki, which I found very interesting. No drab, no look drab up. But they might do under the olive when we get around to that. Uh, you never mm, know. I don't know. Anyhow, people, shall we wave these me. lovely people off? Yeah, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I can't though because I gotta edit this shit, put it up on the interwebs, yeah. and have it all. <laughs> it's Saturday afternoon again, isn't it? With us. This week's been a nightmare. Yeah. All right then. Okay. Love
Okay, bye. bye.